Father, I do thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for truth. I thank you that, that you have um, revealed it to us, that you have made a way for us to know it. I pray that in this moment, Father, that, that you would speak, that you would teach us, and that you would share truth with us, that you would uh, use me as a vessel. Father, I pray if there's, there's anything that I have planned to say that, that is not of you, I, I pray that you would just make me forget it. I pray, God, that as, as the words come out and they hit the ears of these people, that your spirit would just bring application and, and, and help them walk out of here understanding more about you and how you work in us. I pray for your guidance through your passage today, Father, that, that you would just, um, that you would be with us, that your spirit would be heavy on us, and that all of the, all of the distractions that can so easily take our attention, that you would put a, blinders on us and and help us to see and help us to hear it's all these things i pray in jesus name amen did the kids already go back okay all right i didn't dismiss anybody so i wouldn't it doesn't usually happen that i dismiss anybody but i just want to make sure okay all right here we go john chapter 15 now like i said we're in our second week of a series on this passage the uh the, the thing that we started off with last week was just trying to understand who was in the vineyard. He's talking, Jesus is, is teaching this analogy. He's giving this spiritual truth built around an analogy that uses the imagery of a vineyard. We started off last week understanding who the players are, who it is that's in the vineyard, and, and who it is that he's referring to. And this week, we're going to talk about fruitfulness. And as we do that, as we even come to this, so often the way people decide, de- define this, I-, I think unfortunately is, is just off a little, off a little. It's, it's, it's just not quite what I think Jesus intended here in this passage. And so we're going to deal with that. The passage today, I've, I, or the message today, I've built around about four questions that I've thought about as I've studied this passage. Those questions are first and foremost, does, does every Christian have fruit? If so, how, how can we make sure we have it? Does every Christian have fruit? And if so, how can we make sure that we have it? I guess that's really two questions I've wrapped up into one, but what are the results of our fruit? What is fruit? And probably, in my mind, the very most important one is, do I have fruit? Or do you have fruit? Do you have fruit in your life? I think, as I said, I think this is probably the most important question. And, and let me just, let me just break that out and just talk about why I think it's so important. As we read this passage last week, and, and we're going to read it here again in just a minute. As we read this passage in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, as we talked about and heard Jesus speak, fruitfulness was the difference between a branch that's pruned and made more fruitful and a branch that's cut off and thrown into the fire. I'm just going to tell you, to me, that sounds pretty different. And the second alternative sounds pretty scary. It sounds to me like this is something we need to ensure in our lives that we know, that we can answer this question. And so as I ask the question to you, I've dealt with this for a couple of weeks, and I don't want to come across as I'm up here saying, hey, you got fruit, and I'm trying to load this this load on you and stand in judgment over you. I don't want you to hear that at all. But I want to ask it to you directly and I want you to think of yourself and I want you just to do some introspection today. I want you to examine your life. You got fruit? You got it? 
Well, what is it, Seth? You know, I don't think this ad still runs, but it used to be that there was these milk ads that would run. You got milk, got milk, and then you'd see these pictures of people with milk mustaches and stuff like that. And it was always pitched that milk was so good for you that it was something that we just absolutely had to have. Well, fruit, at least as we see it taught by Jesus here, I think is imperative in our life. And so I think understanding this and, and dealing with it is absolutely imperative. I think it is extremely important for us to understand this. You got fruit? You got it? Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 1, if you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. The verses will be on the screen. He says, I am the true vine. And remember, he's, he's setting himself apart. He's giving a distinction from, from Israel or from, from those that had been seen as the vine before. He says, I am the true vine. I'm genuine. I'm the real deal. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What is this fruit that Jesus is talking about? I mean, really, if you think about it, if we are going to understand, if we have this fruit, if if we have this in our lives, we have to understand what it is. We have to understand how we can see it. If we're going to examine ourselves and understand, yep, I, I can see evidence. I can see that fruit. We're going to have to understand what it is that Jesus is talking about. And the easy and most, I think the easy and probably the the most prominent definition that people are going to give to this and the first thing that people are going to think about are those things that they can see actively in their life are those outward workings those things that we can do those good works and maybe an example would be hey i'm involved in a church plant in springfield missouri and i'm working hard to to do this thing next week that's going to bring the gospel into a public setting and we're going to preach that's a good work it's a good thing to do It's, it's a great thing to do and maybe maybe that good work is is something that you don't do. You know, I, I don't cuss, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't, I don't do all these things. Those are good things not to do. And so oftentimes that's that's the way that we begin to define our fruit. That's the way that we demonstrate to the world that hey, we're really believers. Look at look at who I look at what I do and look at what I don't do. And then when we look at other people, automatically we're looking at the things that they do and the things that they don't do. Oh, that guy's not quite as holy as I am. I showed up at church this morning. My neighbors, boy, I don't know. They were they were outside, raking their yard. I must be a lot more holy than they are. Hmm. Well, you know, my 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 
employees, the people that work for me, they sure cuss an awful lot. They sure take God's name in vain an awful lot. I must be better than they are. Look at all this good fruit. You see, that's what we tend to do. But honestly, as I have, as I have studied this passage, as I have dealt with this truth as Jesus has, has given it, honestly, I have begun to think that what I've believed all my Christian life may not be completely accurate. You see, I have been told, and you've probably heard this as well, that there are two types of fruit that can really be, that's really evident in a Christian's life. And that first is fruit that's, that, that we bear outwardly. And the, and the second would be fruit that's born in, inwardly. The works of God inside of us. And so, so, you know, the, the, that's, that's how it's been defined. That's what people have talked about. And, and at some level, I think it is true. Don't, don't hear me disagreeing with that statement. I just think sometimes we put too much emphasis on what happens out here and too little emphasis on what's happening in here. And that's what I think, honestly, that's what I think as I've studied this passage. That's what I think Jesus was referring to. That's what I think Jesus was, was pointing at. I, I, I think that he, he may have had in mind in, in, in a logical extension the outward workings of what was going on, but I think first and foremost he's talking about the inward workings. In fact, let's, let, let me just illustrate this in, in, a, in a way for you. How many of you have heard of Billy Graham? Everybody in the room. Imagine that. Billy Graham would, would be said to be a fruitful person, right? That he has had a fruitful life. I mean, thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people show up at his crusades and, and, and by the, by the droves, I mean, just hundreds of people will come out of those stands when he calls for the invitation and they will wait forever. I mean, they'll, not maybe forever, but for a long time to stand there and get the information that he's got about being a Christian. Most people would say that Billy Graham has led a very fruitful life. Let me get you to think about somebody different. How many of you know who Charles Templeton is? Not quite as many hands. In fact, a whole lot less. You know, Billy Graham, when he first started doing this, he wasn't doing it alone. He was actually working with a guy named Charles Templeton. And in fact, there's some sources that would say that Charles Templeton, if circumstances had been different, Charles Templeton would be the household name for fruitful life, living. That, that Charles Templeton would be the one that we know. That's what some sources say. Charles Templeton's dead today. It used to be in his time that he would stand and preach and the same as Billy Graham. People would respond. Thousands of people would fill stadiums to hear him preach the gospel. The day he died, he wasn't preaching the gospel. In fact, he was an agnostic or an atheist. You see, all of those exterior works, all of those things that he had done, and if a person had looked at him in the middle of preaching the gospel, they would have said, hey, that is a fruitful dude. That guy, man, he is living a fruitful life. And we would have measured it based on everything that was happening on the outside. But the guy died an unbeliever. And as we understand what this passage teaches and as we've talked about who these people are that are represented, it can only be understood that that was never his fruit. 
His fruit was not thousands of people coming to Christ. He had no fruit. He died an unbeliever. It's a hard truth. But I hope, I hope it's a truth that will help us see that as Jesus talks about being fruitful and challenges us to look at our life and, and wonder if we have fruit, that the second thing that we look at, or maybe the last thing that we look at, is those outward workings, those good works that we claim to have. Judas, well, you know, here we are just a few moments, really, if you, if you put the passage back into context. Judas, just a few mo- moments before, is revealed by Jesus to be a betrayer. The, the disciples were sitting around a table having the Last Supper. And, and as they sit there, Judas, Judas is the guy that's been trusted among all of them to carry the bag of money. He's the treasurer. I'm just going to tell you from experience, you don't let just anybody have access to the money. It, it's somebody you trust. It's somebody you know. Judas was the treasurer. In fact, when Jesus said, hey, among you is one that's going to betray me, Judas stands up, he says, all right, you go do what you got to do. The disciples think he's gone to do a good work. Hey, he must be going to feed the hungry or help the poor. They never even think that it could be him. Judas cast out demons. Judas worked miracles. The other Gospels, as, as they teach about Jesus sending out the twelve apostles, as they teach about Jesus sending them out to, to, to preach the Gospel and the coming of the kingdom of God, it says that they went out and they cast out demons and they worked miracles. You know who was with those twelve? Judas. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 through 23, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, this is Jesus speaking to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The last thing I think we should be looking at are all of these good works that we think we've got to share and to shine with. So what is fruit? What is it that Jesus is talking about? What is it that this, this passage reveals to us that fruit is? Let's look at it again. I think immediately we see that fruit is the work of our abiding or being connected to Christ. He says it in verse 5. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Now, now next week, we're really going to dig on this abiding and what that means because I think it's something that's lost on the church today. I don't think we understand what it is to abide in Christ. We're going to deal with that heavily. Today, I want you to focus on this, that the result of that abiding is fruit. It's a natural outcome. It's a natural reaction. What do orange trees do? They bear oranges. What do apple trees do? They bear apples. That's, it just happens. You put a seed in the ground and somebody takes care of it and tends to it and makes sure that it begins to grow and then and somebody makes sure that it has water and somebody makes sure that, that it stays healthy. And those trees, they do what they're meant to do. The connection is, or, 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 or the, the natural reaction is that as we become connected to Christ, as we abide in Christ, we bear fruit. We can't help it. 
We just can't help it. It's, a, it's, it, it's what happens. The second thing is, is that fruit is the result of the continuing work of the Father or vine dresser in our life. The very first verse, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now last week we talked about these branches. And I, I feel like I need to, to reiterate that today. I think that, I, I feel like we need to say something about it today because there's so many people here today that weren't here last week. Those branches, there's a few different views on those. The first view, and I told you guys that were here last week. I, honestly, I, if you don't agree with me on this, that's okay. I don't mind you being wrong. I, you, you are welcome to that, but there truly is. I'll give you the right one in just a second. The first one is not the right one, I don't think. And, and that is that there's, Branches, these branches re- represent believers. The, the, the branches that represent the, the believers that aren't bearing fruit are, are branches that are said to have lost their salvation and they're pulled out and they lose their salvation. They, God looks at them, you didn't perform well enough, so you know what? I'm done with you. And he takes them away and he throws them in the fire. I don't believe that's an accurate representation or interpretation of the scripture. I think it's, I think it's taking a presupposed idea and, and pushing it on this passage. <clears throat> the second view also holds that, that these branches are, are representing believers. That, that the, the branches that are bearing fruit are believers that God is pruning and, and He's doing His work. <clears throat> but the branches that aren't bearing fruit, rather than, rather than interpreting the Greek as taking it away, people interpret it as lifting up. And so God takes these branches, they're believers, and He lifts them up so that they can bear fruit, so that He gets them out of the dirt and the dust and and I think that pushes too hard on this text. It's an analogy. It's not something that we have to have answers for in every place. In fact, you use analogies all the time. And if we wanted to, we could take your analogies and we could push them hard and they wouldn't make sense in every little area. But what we can do is understand what Jesus is saying and, and look at what he says and, and what he places in this analogy and interpret that. And so what I take and what I look at is Jesus is speaking to a, a, a Jewish people. He's speaking about Israel as being the false vine. He's the true vine. And all of these people had an outward appearance of, of, of being connected to him, and yet they didn't produce fruit. There was no fruit produced in their life. And so it demonstrates that they were not really believers or they were not really part of the kingdom of God, and they were removed. They're unbelievers. That's the third view. That's the view I hold. <clears throat> and that's the one I think is right. Like I said, you can be wrong if you want. It's okay. But study it. Don't take my word for it. I would challenge you to study it. Dig on it. It's no problem. It's the truth. You can't, you, you can't sneak past it. You can't, you can't make it wrong. It's the truth. Yes, please. That'd be great. Thank you. <clears throat> so as we look at this, as we look at these branches, thank you very much. As we look at these branches and try and understand this, we must understand and see that here's the deal. Here's the deal. These views all have problems and there's reasons that people don't agree with them. The second view, we'll start with that one. That's the view that both branches are believers and that one branch is lifted up to bear more fruit. Here's the problem with that view. In just a few verses, it's going to say those branches that don't produce fruit are cut off, they're put in the fire. 
you got to do some pretty big hermeneutical acrobats, acrobatics to, to really make that work. You've got to really twist things and pull on them to make that view work. Because too closely do, 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 are those compared to demonstrate to us that unfruitful people are cast out. Here's a problem with the view that the branches, the first branches are, are unbeliever, are believers that lose their salvation. The text truly shows completely and, and clearly shows my father's the vine dresser. If a branch bears fruit, what does he do? He prunes it so that it bears more fruit. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Fruit is the supernatural result of God's continuing work in you. Let me say it again. Fruit is the supernatural result of God's continuing work in you. When you abide in Christ, the natural reaction is what? That you bear fruit. You bear fruit. It just happens. You can't control it. You know what? You say you're a believer. You say that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Where did that truth come from? When Peter confessed that, Jesus said, that didn't come from you. It's been revealed to you from above. That's the fruit. Even coming to faith is fruit of God's work in your life. Immediately, as a believer, you come to faith, you have fruit. What does God do to the branches that bear fruit? He prunes them so that they bear more fruit. So if those branches bore fruit at one time, and then they stopped bearing fruit, what happened? It sure sounds like if, if we follow this closely, God must have failed. You see, fruit is the immediate result of abiding and connecting to Christ. And it also is the continuing supernatural result, or the supernatural result of God's continuing work in you. That's what fruit is. It's not something you can muster on your own. It's not something that you can follow some 12-step program to achieve. It's not some something that, that you can just work out by yourself. It's not something that is, is ever in any way empowered by you. It is the work of God in you as a result of your connection to the vine. That's the definition of fruit that I think this passage clearly demonstrates. Well, that's great, Seth. What's that look like? How, I, I know now what you're saying it is. I can see maybe what you're saying in Scripture. But what's it look like? How, how can I be sure it's evident in me? How, what, what do I look at in my life? What, what evidence is there? Well, let's get practical. <clears throat> to do this, we're going to have to jump around in this, and you're just going to have to hang with me. I didn't put these verses on the, on the, uh, on the, the screen because there's just so many of them. But in this section, Jesus has, Jesus has, has, has started in John chapter 13. He started this, this very pastoral act towards his disciples. He's meeting with them privately. He's not in public. He is dealing with them in a very special and a very intimate way. He's teaching them very special things because he knows he's on his way to the cross. And as he begins to teach about that, let me just share some of the things that he teaches about them or teaches to them. In John chapter 13, if you flip back to that, if you've got your Bible, over and over and over, there is one thing that he reiterates. In John chapter 13, excuse me, in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. 
Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. John chapter 14, verse 15. He goes on and he, he's still teaching. It's still the same, the same context. John chapter 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He goes on, John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps him, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Over and over and over in this passage, he is reiterating this truth that, that he is going to love us, and that that love that he's given to us or that he's shared with us should be evident in us. Over and over and over he pushes this and reiterates it. It continues in John chapter 15, all the way, all the way to the point where we're at now. He's telling us that we are to love others as He has loved us. In fact, in John chapter 15, He's going to tell us that, or yeah, John chapter 15, He's going to tell us that He's loved us as the Father loved us. What an amazing love! What if you think about the way God the Father, if you if you imagine in your mind how God the Father has loved the Son. That is an amazing, special, and intimate, and powerful love. And that's the love that we've received from Him. Over and over, He reiterates this idea of love. Not just that, but then also in John chapter 14, verse 27, He tells us, Peace. I leave with me, my peace. I leave with you my peace I give to you. And He calls us to experience this peace. And then in just a few verses, He's going to tell us, He's going to tell his disciples that, that the reason he's telling them all these things so that their joy may be full. In verse 11, he says, I've told you this so that your joy, or my, my joy may be in you and your joy may be full or complete. Now, that's just three things that he's pushed on them and talked to them and told them, all right, here are things that I expect to see in you. Let's put them back together and, and, and tell me if it rings a bell. Love, joy, peace. Isn't there someplace else that we can read about this? Galatians chapter 5. Paul, he's dealing with, dealing with, with these believers that, that are, are being misled and he's laying down for them. He, he's giving them truth and he says in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19, <clears throat> he says this, let me get to it. He, he's talking to them about the difference between the, a life lived to the flesh and a life lived in the Spirit. And he says this, starting in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now I want you to notice something as you, as you look at that passage and as I, as I illustrate what Jesus is doing and, and talking about through, through this. As he talked about the, 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 the works that are given to the flesh or the works that come out of the flesh, he is talking about 
physical action. Look at it again. The works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, fits of jealousy, fits of rage and anger. And, and, and some of those things are attitudes within a person, but most definitely he is demonstrating that the, 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 the works that come out of the flesh are sinful. They are not good things to be involved with. In fact, he says people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But he, but he, he demonstrates that with, with physical works. What's the difference between what he's doing there and what he does when he speaks about the fruits of the Spirit? The difference is this, and I just noticed this in the last couple of weeks as I was studying this. I've just noticed this. The fruits of the Spirit are things that work inside of you first. They're attitudes of your heart. They're they're positions that you take. They're motivating uh, attitudes, motivating factors that push you to act or change the way that you act and so that as they come out of you, you see something different. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are all things that work inside of you first. They're things that are done inside of you and as they react in you, as they, as they take hold in you and as you are transformed to be like this, that they feed the way that you act. They change the way that you act. So do you have fruit? Well, what's fruit look like? It's that continuing work of God in your life. It's that continuing work that resulted out of your connection to Christ. It's that, that work, that supernatural work that He has enabled you to have a sacrificial love as He has loved. It's that supernatural work that, that enables you to experience peace no matter how difficult the circumstances around you. It's that supernatural work that provides for you joy. It's not based on the emotion of happiness, but a contentment and a, and a, and a sense of, of bubbling and, 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 and excitement because you know that the truth is true and that the God who's behind that truth is your Savior. It's the supernatural work that changes you from someone who is given to self-seeking, self, self-serving, self-centered ways. And moves you to think of others. It's that supernatural work that, that builds in you this, this change of attitude about who God is and what He's done. You see, that's the fruit that He's speaking about. That, that fruit, that supernatural work that is inside of you that begins to result in these great things that are done on the outside. You see, can we discount those good works? I don't think we need to. I think that Billy Graham being used in such an amazing way through his life is a demonstration of the fruit inside of him. His love for God. His love for the people that God's going to call. Where did that come from? From the supernatural work of God in him. The good things that we strive to do, or should we always discount them? I don't think so. This, this tent revival that we're doing? Is it a good thing? Absolutely. But I don't want you to count it as fruit until you've sought your, until you've examined your life and questioned, am I doing this with that love, joy, peace, patience, and, and those things as motivating factors towards it? Because here's the opposite side of it. Charles Templeton, his fruit was fake. It wasn't real. Judas, his fruit was fake. It wasn't real. 
And Jesus said, there's going to be plenty of people who come along and who are going to say, look at all I've done. Look at what I've done for you. He's going to say, I never knew you. Their fruit's going to be fake. Do you have fruit? You know what to look for now. Do you have a love for God? I'm not talking just about the emotion. There's this fluffy feeling. Ooh, I love you. We sang that song, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. We sang it. Do you, do you love Him as He has loved you? In this sacrificial way? In, in this willingness to lay down your life? And your willingness to give up those things that you desire and those things that your flesh wants so that, so that He, that He can be glorified so that His fruit is evident? Do you experience peace in the midst of trying times? Do you experience peace with Him? Do you experience peace between others? Do you have a joy in your life? You see, that's the fruit that you should be looking for. That's the supernatural working that you should see evident in your life. Do you have it? Do you have it? What's the result of our fruit? What's the result of it? First and foremost, our, the result of our fruit is that God prunes us and He cuts on us and He, and He removes parts of us that we might be cleansed, that we may be made pure. In fact, that word could be better translated as purged or cleansed. Maybe not better translated, but at least translated in that way. That, that all of these things that are not pleasing to Him, they're removed. All of those things that are going to keep you from bearing fruit. When you have fruit, He's going to prune you that you may bear more fruit. That's the result of your fruit. But you know, there's an even, even greater result of your fruit. And we see that in verse 16 of John chapter 15. I better go back to that so I can read it. <clears throat> he did not choose me, speaking to his disciples. He did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name. Wait a minute. It's the wrong verse. Oh, here we go. Verse 8. Sorry. I am not perfect. But I am right about the branches. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Our fruit brings glory to God. Our fruit, the, the things that He works in us, point back to Him. This is a narrative that actually be, begins at the very beginning of the Bible. He, and we won't go through every step and every part of the process, but at the very beginning, in the creation, He told Adam and Eve, go, be fruitful, multiply in number. Be fruitful. That's the purpose in which we were created. That's the thing that we were saved for, to bear fruit that we might glorify Him. So do you have fruit? Let me ask you, 
If you're going to try and use the, the workings of your life and the outworkings of, 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 of what you do, those good things that you do, let me ask you, are you doing those things with a self-centered, self-serving attitude? Are you hoping that someone will compliment you? Are you hoping that someone will see you and approve of you? Or, or are you hoping that if you just do this good enough, you can look to God and say, look at me, look at what I've done, now you have to accept me. See, those are selfish motivations. Fruit, good works are fruit only when they bring glory to God. Your fruit will glorify God. That's what it says. That's the result of it. That's what happens. We bear more fruit, and that fruit glorifies God. So, do you have fruit? Do you, do you understand now what it is? Do you see that, that fruit, that, that the outworkings, that the good works that you can do can be so deceiving and can't be counted on unless you can see that they are motivated by that supernatural work that He's already done in you? Finally, one more question. Should all Christians have it? Do we all have it? And if so, how can we ensure we're fruitful? The answer is yes, all Christians have it. It's a result of abiding in Christ. Christ. Next week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to deal with that. We're going to try and understand it. We're going to try and deal with it. We're going to to ask that the, the Lord will just bless that. But even the moment that you can say that you came to believe is a work of His Spirit in you. Yes, all Christians have fruit. How can you have more? How can you ensure that you continue to grow, that you continue to bear fruit? Abide in Christ. Trust the Father. He will do the work that He's always meant to do. All right. Do you have fruit? It's time to examine your life. It's time to think about your life. It's time to be introspective. It's time to, to quit telling yourself stories and telling yourself, trying to pump yourself up in front of your own eyes. It's time to consider inside yourself Do you have fruit? Every head bowed and every eye closed.